Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Undiscovered You, a podcast for people who feel they have so much more to offer, but are somehow stuck where they are. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston, and this season, we'll be speaking all about the skills that pay the bills. I'm extremely excited to have Paul Birkenfeld with me today. Paul is an aviation professional and is working out of multiple cities at the moment in the U.S., but Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, good afternoon, Kimberly. How are you today? I'm doing so well and so excited to have you talk to us about aviation, such a cool area to be working in. So tell me a bit about what you're doing. We, you know, let me just start saying I'm so excited that you're having me on. I have been doling out uh, my opinion to people, forcing them upon them for years. And it's about time someone actually came to me and asked for it. So, so, so this is just a wonderful thing, finally. Um, Yes, aviation. So aviation. So you've known me. You've known me. Uh, you've known me my uh, whole adult life, pretty much. And uh, and I think you've known that I've always been into airplanes and, and things that fly and pilots and all things of that sort. So uh, I've been in aviation uh, my entire life. I've loved it. It's been my passion, and I've had my ups and downs with it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I started. Uh, I started. Uh, boy, two thousand and two. I started uh, with um, JetBlue, and uh, they were startup in in, in New York. Um, I had just been out of my uh, my the, my job as a blockbuster video manager, uh, and uh, originally I, I went wanted to become a pilot. I wanted to do the whole thing, so it was time for me to to go uh, to an airline. And JetBlue was just a wonderful experience. They were just a brand new company. It was so exciting. They were in New York. And I started uh, with JetBlue. The idea being, I'm going to work for these guys, do whatever they want me to do, <clears throat> and hopefully get trained to be a pilot, fly for them. It'd be wonderful. Uh, you, you'll see there's a, a common uh, uh, trend within my career moves. And uh, so I uh, uh, started with them. It was really a magical company to begin with working with. It was just uh, nothing like I ever seen. It was just enthusiasm from everybody, just openness. And, and the company was growing, just a great place to be. Um, worked there for several years and, uh, got into management, got into station management and, uh, kind of put away the, the pilot dreams away and said, Oh man, I'm going to be the next, uh, going to be the next executive for an airline here and, uh, just work my way up, uh, within it. So, uh, lived all over the U S doing it, went to Las Vegas, went to, uh, Phoenix, went to Austin, Texas, went to, uh, Chicago, where I finally ended up, uh, residing and, uh, uh, became a, a station manager, so I managed the airport uh, for the airline. And uh, about eight years into the experience, the airline, of course, went through its its major growing pains. And uh, and uh, the uh, one of the reasons I found great success at the company um, was that I actually caught the eyes of the CEO, and the CEO at the time as well just an entrepreneur who started several airlines um, within the U S and has an airline in Brazil. And just, he's, he's got a problem. He's got a problem starting airlines. He just likes to start airlines. And so uh, he, he took a liking to me. He liked what I, he saw what I was doing and I was a young kid. And uh, I took that as a, uh, as, as my carte blanche to be the way I want to be because I got the CEO behind me and uh, probably learned a lot of lessons <laughs> doing it that way. I, um, I, I probably burned some bridges, and uh, one day uh, on the news it came up, and it said uh, David Nealman, CEO of JetBlue Airlines, has been asked by the board uh, 
to uh, give up his position. Mm. And, uh, and I said, Oh boy, <laughs> that doesn't dwell well for me. And so I knew, I knew what was coming and I probably lost it with the company about another year. And they, in a, in a, in a very, uh, in a very polite way, let me know that it was probably time for me to move on and, uh, and, and find employment elsewhere. So it was fine. Um, it, it, in reality, that last year I had also become disenchanted with the airline as it grew. The, um, the, the company no longer, uh, the model was not something that I was in love with anymore. It was, it was, it was becoming a, a, tough to go to work, uh, tough to deal with the culture as it was changing. Um, I think you've talked about it a little on your, on your show, and I think it's one of your, the first lessons that I would say to people is um, there's no such thing as company loyalty. Do not think that you need to be, you mentioned it, do not be loyal to your company. Um, they're not going to be loyal to you. And by design, a company should not function on any one person. So like they, even, even the CEO was dispensable. I certainly <laughs> <laughs> was, 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 was as well. So um so yes, that's something that you have mentioned, and I absolutely agree with your family, your friends really are the people that, that can't replace you. Your jobs can, and you can replace your job. You will find other jobs. So, so that's what happened. And um, I left JetBlue, moved back to New York. I was living in Chicago, and, and uh, uh, I wanted to move back to New York anyway. Moved back to New York and started looking for, for, for jobs in aviation in New York. And um, had to start from scratch again over there if I was going to stay in the aviation industry, this was also 2008, 2009, I believe. And it was during the financial crisis. Um, so, so it was, yeah, I, I chose a good time to, to get let go from my job. Um, but uh, it, it was difficult to find a position. Uh, and New York, New York and JetBlue have an association together. JetBlue is a large airline there. So if I'm applying for jobs in New York, with JetBlue, the first question I would always get asked is, why did you leave JetBlue? So mm-hmm. It was a difficult question to answer. But um, I started from scratch and I felt very demoralized uh, that I started with a small regional airline uh, working as a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was the worst of worst. It was just, I, I was like, I can't believe I'm having to do this. I hated it. Uh, hated everything about the position. Hated it. The only thing I liked was that it was in the airline. I got to be with airplanes. Uh, I got to sit with pilots. And uh, the idea was, all right, I'll do this. Um, maybe getting some, talk to some people, build up some money again, start flying again, and I'll become a pilot. Um, I didn't. <laughs> so I, uh, I worked with this year. I worked for about six months as a flight attendant. And, and what I would do, the, the pilots on me, I was famous for doing it. As soon as the airplane landed, I would find a corner with Wi-Fi somewhere. And I would start applying for jobs, applying for jobs, applying for jobs. And um, I was very fortunate after about six months, uh, one, the parent company of this airline had another airline in the New York area that was opening up a uh, pilot flight attendant space. And um, they saw my resume and they said, are you interested in being a uh, 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 operations manager here for the pilots and flight attendants? Base? And I was like, absolutely. Get me, get me out of this uniform. And, uh, and I went and did that. And it was a great company. What a great company it was. And it was a company that I would have probably looked down upon because it was a regional airline in the past. And that, it was just very professional people. Um, uh, they were a Midwest-based company, and most of the people came from a defunct airline in the Midwest, but they were, it was a wonderful experience. And, um, and I did that for about a year. Uh, the aviation world is a quickly changing, evolving world where you have to be on your feet because things can happen, and you have to, you have to, you have to read the news and see what the trends are. Uh, fortunately, I did that. Uh, there was, uh, I was working in LaGuardia at the time, and uh, we were contracted to work out for U.S. Airways. 
I saw in the paper, US Airways was trying to make a deal with Delta and uh, slot swap, which means that uh, the, the ability to operate at an airport in exchange to operate in another airport, and they were trying to swap airports. And it meant US Airways would probably give up their slots and leave. I saw this and I was like, I better start applying for jobs elsewhere just in case. Uh, and sure enough, it went through and, uh, and and I knew my job would be limited as the position would be completely going away. The company would have to go away completely. Uh, the contract had ended. So um, I said, okay, let me get back with a major airline. Uh, uh, one thing I do believe is find a company that you, as you're looking for companies to work with, find a company that you do agree with in some way, that you find something about them that you admire, that you think you're going to be excited to go to work and go work with the company. You can, you know, once you're there, you can find out if it's true or not, but at least do your research ahead of time. Um, at the time, the only other company that I saw some admiration in uh, was Continental Airlines, um, led by Gordon Bethune. Bethune was an incredible character, another incredible personality in the CEO world of airlines. And I was like, yeah, that, that that's, looks like a company that I would like. Uh, very Texas-based and had a very uh had that big texas attitude to it and i was like yeah i'm a new yorker i got a big new york attitude let's go do a texas attitude um so i took a a another kind of start from scratch not a complete search i go down a little bit and started with a uh hourly position with them and it was in their in their network operations center um as a pilot scheduler and uh the idea actually now pretty much was i at this point i had given up kind of thoughts of, of becoming a pilot um, and I said, okay, let me just, let me get back to what I'm good at, which was managing the station. And I had applied for a couple of jobs at Continental Managing Stations, didn't get anything. I said, okay, I'm going to have to get my foot in the door and, uh, and go work with these guys. So let me accept this, this position. Um, and so I did move, to, move down to Houston. Um, I did know that they, the company was going to be, uh, merging with United Airlines and, uh, they would eventually move to Chicago. I already had a place in Chicago for my previous job so i said all right let's do this uh let, let's go work at as a pilot scheduler um pilot scheduling is uh, is an interesting job um it's uh you know i i wanted to be a pilot i like pilots pilots are good people you've had a pilot on the show good people solid people uh but as with anything three percent of any of any profession of any people are just just garbage people that are just a pain in the neck uh, well, those three percent are the ones who call a pilot schedule. <laughs> Nobody else calls pilot schedule. So it's it's just a miserable job where you sit there and try to make deals with these pilots, try to get them to do what 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 they supposedly their passion is to fly an airplane. I don't know why you have to convince them to fly an airplane so much, but uh, you do. You have to sit there and be like, you know, this is what you wanted to do growing up, fly a plane. Um, so I did that, and I actually ended up doing it for two years. And I can tell you, I was not good at it. I was not good at it. I had I had people there and I would watch these people and I would just be in, in awe that they would look at a computer screen and they just would tic-tac-toe this thing together. Be like, yeah, this pilot can do that. And I would look at it and be like, cancel it, cancel the operation. We're not flying today. We're done. It's over. There's no point. And uh, second lesson there, I think for people, um, this is not a, a job that attracts a lot of people with, with a lar large amount of academic knowledge. They, 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 this is a, people come from high school and they get this job. These people were far smarter than me, far smarter than me and, and much better than me at, at the jobs that they did. And, and uh, in general, I have my, my apprehensions with academia. I don't get along well with academia. And this kind of uh, reinforced my, my idea uh, working with some of these people saying like, you know, don't always look at that academic record for people, especially for those of you listening to the show that have the ability to hire people. Be very careful with that because 
academia, it, it is easy to get a diploma sometimes with money. Um, and uh, you may fail if you don't look at, if you look at people that have gone to lower institutions that you might think, or, uh, or have no degrees at all. They might actually be very, very smart and very capable of doing the job that you have for them. And I think we're starting to see this now in the tech world. You can train them. You can train them to do what, they, what, what you want them to do. They don't necessarily need that. Um, so uh, another lesson that I learned, and, uh, and I'll reinforce it later on as into, into my progression. But um, I knew I had to get away from this pilot scheduling thing. It was just killing me. I, I didn't enjoy it. And I started looking for other jobs. I was not, I wasn't having luck finding jobs in station management. Um, so I just started look, looking for other things. And a position came up and I think someone said, Paul, you might be interested in this. And it was uh, auditor. And, uh, and I looked into it. It was within, within United Airlines safety department. So I said, okay, this is interesting. I think safety is a nice thing that I can put on my, on my uh, resume. And that'll possibly get me back to where I want to be in station management. So uh, went into this, this, this auditing position and uh, the position actually falls under the internal evaluations program of the airline. These are programs that under the United States federal law uh, in aviation, an airline must have. An airline must have this, this branch within a safety department or wherever, but they have to be independent and they basically do what the FAA does and they audit and inspect the airline internally. And the idea is that they're independent. They don't belong. They don't fall under any of the branches of the airline. That they can make decisions on safety. And, it, and I started reading about this. I'm like, well, this is really fascinating. Hmm. Um, it's it's this level of, of safety um, that 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 airlines need to to proceed. And um, I went right into this. Went to the program. Loved it. I fell in love with auditing. I was I was like amazed. I'm like, wow, you know, auditing is great. Um, and I said, this is, this is really interesting. I think I'm going to stay here. Uh, uh, fell in love with auditing. Fell in love with the team members I had as well. I had an amazing boss. I had an amazing group of auditors <clears throat> that I worked with. And I was like, this is great. I mean, we, we would go out. We were traveling all over the world. Uh, I was learning constantly because I was learning about every aspect of the airline. Um, you know, they hire you to be a subject matter expert in something. And I was a, an, an airport subject matter expert. But really, you end up losing that knowledge and you become subject matter sort of in auditing and you mm. in auditing styles. Um, so fell right into that, fell really in love with, uh, with aviation safety, um, saw that there was a lot more to aviation safety than I even thought there was. And there's a lot of behind the stuff, you know, behind the scenes stuff that's going on, which is just fascinating. And I can assure you, all of you traveling, the airlines are incredibly safe. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we ended up doing is we ended up losing a lot of uh, uh, injury because that was really our largest threat to the airline was just personal injury. We've gotten to a point where aviation is so safe. And so all of that was just incredibly interesting. So I wound up doing that um, with United I was, uh, for, for eight years. Eight years of staying in that position. It was supposed to be a temporary position. And I just loved it. Another lesson, though, that I learned with this. My salary wasn't probably what I would want it to be. And I think, uh, you know, I think one of your guests mentioned it on the, on the show. And they said that it's absolutely perfectly fine to chase a salary. That's a perfectly good thing to do. If you want to chase a salary, chase a salary. My addendum to that is, yes, I think it's absolutely good. You know me, Kim, for years. I love capitalism. I believe in it. It's great. Uh, sorry for all the socialists listening. Uh, I do believe it works and I believe it's a wonderful, uh, it progresses this. So I believe in making money. I, I, I like that. I think one thing though, if you're, if, you're, if you're chasing that salary, also find out how much money you need to be happy. Get mm. that number, have that in your head. And, and when you find that, be like, okay, I can live 
happily at this salary, whatever it is, and then find a way to get there. And then if you go above it, great. But the moment you go above it and you're unhappy making that salary, you've got a problem. So always have that number in mind. What, what amount am I happy with? I knew my amount. I knew what amount I was happy with because, uh, like I said, as a capitalist, I like, and I also like German cars and Swiss watches. And I'm like, okay, this salary isn't going to cut it. So we got to figure out some way to do this. So, uh, so doing this, I said, I am perfectly happy staying in this position, but I'm going to need to have a side hustle. And, and what a wonderful place and time we live in that we can have side hustles. So uh, at the time I had some money that I could use. Uh, when I was working at Pilot Scheduling, making even less money, I, was, I started uh, renting out my room on Airbnb. And I was making a little extra money with that. And I was like, actually, and I actually enjoyed it. I was like, this is not bad. So what I started to do, I, I bought a house in, in Chicago. I bought a townhouse. And I said, I'm going to turn this into an Airbnb, four bedrooms. Each bedroom is going to be its own hotel room. And I'm going to manage this. There was some great advice that I got from my CEO at, at JetBlue one day when he visited me and I was driving him around town. And I don't know if he was saying it to me or he was just kind of saying it to himself or what he was saying, but he was in the car and he told me, Paul, um, you will never be happy until you truly own something that is your own. Uh, and, and if you follow the history behind him, he one of the reasons he, he had to leave the company is because he divested most of his stock in the company. He didn't have ownership in it anymore. As he would move forward, he would never do that again. All the airlines that he owns now, he owns majority uh, stake in them. And so he mentioned this, and it, you know, in my head, it was like, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thank you, David. That's great advice. I'll never own an airline, though. But it always resonated in my head. And, I, and as I started opening up this little Airbnb, I loved it. I was loved mm -hmm. it, too. It was my own little business. It was my own little tiny operation. I had zero bosses. Uh, the only people I, that, 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 that I worked for were, were the, the guests and, and making it making it good for them. And they, you know, they had good reviews on me and I, I loved the decorating. I loved, I loved the pricing structures that I would do. I would sit there and, and, and look at the prices of other Airbnbs and the hotels and I was like, all right, let me lower the price. And they were like, oh, I guess I'm getting hurt that good. Let me raise the price and just play with that. And I really enjoyed my Airbnb. So I was doing really well. I was doing really well um, with my job that I really liked and then my side hustle that, that I really liked. And I could see the progression of things uh, as they were working out. And um, I don't know if you guys heard, but then we got a pandemic. Oh, did we? I hadn't heard about we that. We got a pandemic. Something happened. Uh, something happened out somewhere. And anyway, we got a pandemic and uh, travel kind of became an issue. So uh, as you know, the airlines got hit pretty hard. Um, and, um, and, 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 part of, and I was fully invested in, air, in, in travel. So I work. My main, primary job is, is the airline. My side hustle is travel. So I, <laughs> so I was like, boy, uh, so someone had it out for me, I thought, but as a result, um, United Airlines furloughed me, offered me early separation, whatever you want to call it. I was out of the job. Um, whatever initials they put on the, um, on the situation, it was basically, you got no job. And, uh, I'm also sweating because I have no guests coming in. We're closed. Mm -hmm. So my Airbnb is, is not coming in. The, the, the money's not coming in. So it started leading me down. Like, what am I going to do? Fortunately, Airbnb, uh, I can't say enough good things about the way they manage that company. Uh, they did start looking at what are we going to do for our, our, our hosts? And they're, they are committed to their hosts, I, I got to say. And they said, how are we going to figure fix this business model? And they did. They created long-term stays. And that saved me in letting me pay for the mortgage uh, mm. during, during COVID. And to this point, it still does. The long-term stays brought in people instead of the, it brought less money, but it let me 
at least break even as that I could pay my mortgage by bringing in a lot of doctors that were, you know, traveling around and just people that needed the place for a month or two months. And so transitioned that business model to that. What the heck I was going to do as, for a job as a primary? I don't know. This is where I was now as a calling friends, calling everybody. I called you, Kimberly. I was like, what the heck am I going to do? And um, one of the, the, the things that I started to get from a lot of people was, Paul, you've had a good run with this aviation thing. Maybe it's time for you to find something else. And in my head, I was like, maybe it is. No, maybe it is. And then I started to even uh, even think, all right, maybe maybe I do need education. Maybe this this whole academia thing was really the way to go. And I made I made a, a real mistake in in not doing this. So I even said, all right, maybe let's start let's start taking some classes. Let's start looking at something that I really enjoy and start taking classes. And I actually really enjoy economics. I I, I think. I, I find it fascinating. I like to read about it and stuff like that. So let me let me go in that. Maybe I'll have I'll find a passion in that and and, and learn about economics. So um, I start taking courses, and uh, I hate it. I absolutely hate it, Kimberly. I I am not a I am not someone that can go to a to a college, university, or any sort of formal education. The moment you you start teaching it to me in a formal way, I'm like, I hate this. Stop doing it. <laughs> so so I'm like this so. Again, you know, formal education is not for everyone. There's a lot of people out there that that are are self-educated and do very well with self-education. Look out for those people because they they're very intelligent and they're very capable. You have to be incredibly dedicated to self-educate. It's insane. Yeah. But, but, but you enjoy it. You're enjoying it. So it's like, you know. Yeah. So I'm doing that. I'm like, all right, this is this is no good. So I start I start looking at well, what am I going to do? Uh, everyone's telling me to get out of aviation. Well, I'm going to double down. I'm going to go back to be a pilot because everyone's telling me get out of aviation. So, so uh, uh, one of the, the things that helped me from going uh, becoming a pilot is I, I didn't think I could get a, a medical uh, a medical certificate that uh, first class medical, which is which required for commercial aviation. So um, I said, all right, let me go to the the air medical examiner and let's try to see if I can get a medical certificate, and that'll be a sign of whether I can continue with this or not continue. So I went, uh, found a doctor in the area, got a first class medical. And I walked out and I'm like, I got a first class medical. This is amazing. Uh, <laughs> okay. Done. So I signed up, got a loan uh, at a flight school. They were more than willing to, to, to get pilots in because nobody wanted to do it. Everyone was pretty much afraid of, of what was going to happen. There is a looming pilot shortage right now that's in the industry. And uh, there was a pilot shortage pre-COVID, but at this point, there's nothing. Mm. No one, everyone's just dropping out of programs because they're like, we don't know what's going to happen with airlines. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll go in. And so um, I started flying. I started flying. Uh, I was so happy. I was so excited. Uh, I was doing a lot of self-study and you have to do a lot of self-study uh, for this. And I was learning a lot of stuff. I was, uh, I was flying the airplane. Uh, as your previous guest said, flying is not easy. So no matter who tells you, whatever pilot tells you that he's a hotshot and he loves flying and it's such an easy thing to do, it's not easy. It is, it is not like driving a car. It is, it is one of the most frustrating things you can do. Someone asked me after my first few rides, they're like, oh man, was it scary up there? I'm like, no, it's not scary because it's so frustrating. Because mm -hmm. it's so, for everything you do, there's an opposite action that's coming at you that wants you to do differently. And you're constantly adjusting to do it. But it's just frustrating, but it's fun. And, and it's, 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 it's also not something, you know, other pilots will tell you, I like to fly, but you like to just, be up in the sky and think clearly and go with my thoughts. No, you're never with your thoughts. You're always like, what am I going to do with this piece of metal that, that, that doesn't want to do what I want it to do? So, but I was doing that and uh, I was like, all right, this is going to be the course that I take. 
and uh, did that for a few months. And uh, the Federal Aviation Administration sent me a nice notarized letter in the mail saying, so we see you got a medical. <laughs> we don't agree with that. Oh, <laughs> not the letter you want to get as an aspiring no, pilot. No, 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 not at all. So uh, I was like, oh boy. So I uh, got legal counsel, uh, found another uh, medical examiner, and we started working on what are we going to do with this? But in the meantime, it was basically like, no, you do not have a medical, you do not fly. Uh, the flight school at that point said, you do not have a medical, you cannot fly with us. Um, mm. And so basically you had to drop out of the program. And I'm like, all right. I got it. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I, and I was driving back from the flight school one day and I actually got a phone call and it was a recruiter on the line and, and uh, she worked for a uh, small company and she goes, Hey, do you know, um, it's not even a small company, but I have never heard of it. So in my mind, it's a small company, but she goes, uh, have you heard of so-and-so company? And I'm like, Nope. <laughs> and she's like, okay, well, let's tell you about us. We're a, we're a private jet broker. Uh, we're trying to become the largest private jet broker. We're currently second largest after NetJets. Uh, we've acquired several uh, certificates from other carriers and we're now operating uh, this. And we see that you used to work at, a, at an internal evaluations program as a safety auditor. We need an internal evaluation safety manager. Nice. I'm like, I'm like, well, I don't have a job and I don't have anything to do. So yes, let's, let's interview. And uh, I interviewed for this company. Wonderful people. Uh, the interview itself was just a, was, was great. Uh, the manager was great. He said everything I wanted to hear. The culture was very much what I wanted to hear. They were interested in, in, in what I would do. Basically, they asked me, what would you do as a manager? And I knew what I would do from working at United as internal evaluations program. I knew what worked in my mind and what didn't work. And I knew how I would do it. Hmm. Um, first thing was change that auditor title to evaluator. So it would be a little softer and people would like me a little more. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I did. So went into this. Um, and became an internal evaluations program manager uh, with a, uh, it's called part 135 in the United States, which just means the federal uh, code that oversees it. And it's quite different from the airline, which is part 121. And uh, read this, I was like, wow, this is different. Uh, it's a wild west out here. And uh, they are very safe still, but in terms of what the airlines are in safety, they're still a little bit behind. Um, so for example, an airline has to have an internal evaluations program uh, the uh, the one thirty five carriers do not have to have one, so this this group was choosing to having one voluntarily because they felt it was good to be safe. It was they felt it was a good program, so it was like, okay, I like this. But like I said, it's Wild West. Things are very different. Another thing you said on on, on your on one of your previous shows it says it, it takes a good year to learn. Mm. And even though I had the aviation experience, I was sitting there like, boy, this is going to take me a while. And I was learning. I was just learning a lot from scratch, reading their manuals and uh, and, and watching their operating standards, but. I was doing this for a while, um, <clears throat> almost a year, and I liked it. I really did like it, but something in my head was telling me, but I don't like it. Something is, I, it was very much management. It was very much uh, uh, nine to five role. And as much as I was managing their internal actions program, I was mostly managing their, their manuals. I wasn't getting a lot of face time with airplanes, with pilots, with, with, with technicians. And I was missing that. And in the back of my head, I was missing uh, the option of being a pilot. I was missing uh, uh, just, just doing something that I was really going to enjoy. Uh, and so I started to think, 
you know, what, what should I do? Can I, is this sustainable for me? Can I do this? I, I also saw, am I going to move up with this company? Do I want to move up this company? Probably not. I don't want to be a director. I don't want to be an executive. I, I don't. It's, it's not something that's in my interest. I like to be in the operation. And in this size of a company, there isn't much more that I can do in the operation. So if I'm going to stay here, I'm going to have this role for a long time. So I started to figure, what am I going to do? And I started to look back at mentors and, 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 and stuff that they had told me to do, which, you know, you talk about. And uh, of course, I never listened to my mentors. They would tell me something. And in one year, out the other <laughs> year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I'm going to do. But thank you for the advice. But somewhere in my head, I, I, I held it. And when I left JetBlue, uh, my boss at JetBlue that, that let me go was actually a mentor. To me. And, and, and I, don't, I don't think he, he wanted to let me go. Uh, I think he had some, some pressures to let me go, but he also knew it was time to let me go. And uh, we had a great conversation when I left. And one of the things he said to me, he said, Paulie, um, uh, you should look into an aircraft dispatcher uh, license. Uh, and I had known about the position, but I really it wasn't that in, into it. And I was like, okay, thank you, Jeff. And I'll, I'll store it in the back of my head and maybe I'll do that. And uh, then when I was working in the internal evaluations program, my boss there, again, another mentor, just, just a really good man who was really looking out for his employees. Um, well, during my process being there, he, uh, he, he suggested, hey, why don't you get your aircraft dispatcher license? Um, this time I said yes, because he was going to pay for it. Uh, so it's great motivation. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> he's going to pay for it because he wanted a subject matter expert within the department that knew about aircraft dispatcher. Um, real quickly for, for your listeners out there that are an aviation aircraft dispatcher in the United States, in uh, Europe, it's called a flight operations officer. Um, it's basically a pilot on the ground. Uh, it's your third crew member. Um, and what they do is they have operational control of the aircraft with only one other person, which is the pilot in command, so the captain. And they basically can say it's safe to go, it's not safe to go. And uh, the, the, the not glamorous part of it is they do all the pre-work for your pilot. They do all the weather checking, they do the route checking, um, coordinate all that, get that paperwork prepared for your pilot so he can arrive last minute to the airplane, and, uh, have a cup of coffee and then get in the plane. That's the not glamorous part of it. Um, where they earn their bread and butter is they're really, by design, not in the airplane. By design, they're sitting in, in, in a control center with a lot more information at their disposal. And in the event of emergency, they don't have that, that, that uh, oh, crud moment. They are calmer and be like, okay, let's look at everything that you can do. What can you do? Uh, these are the airports you're gonna divert to. Should you divert, what are you gonna do? So it's a, it's a really interesting position. And uh, I got to learn more about it. I'm like, wow, it is really interesting. It reminds me of like Apollo 13 when you've got the guys in Houston who are helping the guys up there trying to get the uh, circle thing into the square, the square yes. into the circle. Yeah, exactly. That's it's you. Very much. Yeah. Very much. That's what the aircraft dispatcher does. And and um, and it's a great position and uh, great schedules as well. The pay is very good. <clears throat> and I was like, you know, I think I think it's time for me to listen to to my mentors and be like, this would be a really good place to go. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, I want to go. I think I want to go do that. And like I said, the the the, the major airlines, the United the Americans of this world, uh, all pay very well. It's a, it's a it's a very good career, well within that that amount that I need. To your capitalist, my, your capitalist my, desires. My, my yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. So I was like, this this would be great, and it also allows you to do wonderful things with your schedule. You can take a bunch of time off, travel and explore and enjoy your benefits. So I was like, I'm going to do it. So apply apply at United. And I'm like, I you know, it's great. <laughs> Let's go, hire me. I got the I got the certificate. Look. Yep. yep. 
so I interview, I take some exams, I, I go with them and they're, they're like, uh, yeah, you're not, you're not ready. You don't have any experience. I'm like, oh, okay. But, but I, how do I get experience? Cause like being a waitress, you can't be a waitress you know, without experience. You know? How do you get experience if you can't be a waitress? <laughs> I'm like, okay. So another little bit of advice I'm going to give it's, it's okay to start from scratch. It's all, it's, it's okay to clean your slate. And that's what I've done. Now, this is, that's what I'm, that brings me to today, what I'm currently doing. Um, I very, it was very difficult for me to say goodbye to, to my position as manager in, in, in the company that I was working for. It was hard for me to tell my boss that I was leaving. It was hard to say goodbye to the, the biweekly check. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I knew that that, that just wasn't going to do it. It was, it was a risk. But I said, I, I got to take this risk. It just happens to be that all the regional airlines, the smaller airlines in the U.S., are actually hiring dispatchers like crazy. There's a shortage of dispatchers. And um, I, I, I applied it to them, one in Minneapolis, one in Indianapolis. Um, and uh, Indianapolis is not too far of a ride from Chicago. Um, both of them hire me. Both are very nice and, and, and both are very interesting. Funny enough, my old manager at United that told me you should get your, pilot, your, your dispatch and paid for it. He actually works for this company now for, 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 for this regional. And I reached out to him and he says, oh my God, he was so excited. And let's have lunch and stuff and introduces me uh, to, the, uh, to the, the dispatch manager. And so they hired me. The pay is terrible. The schedule is terrible. Uh, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Uh, I'm, 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 you know, the finances, I'm, I'm not within my range. Absolutely not within my range. Um, I had to get a small studio in Indianapolis where I'm commuting. Uh, but Kimberly, let me, let me tell you, I've, I've, the past few weeks I've sat down, I've been looking at paperwork, there's bad weather days and I'm, and I'm just loving it. I'm oh. just loving it. I'm loving people screaming at each other from across the room. What are we going to do with this plane? What are we going to do with that? How are we going to solve this problem? I'm, I'm loving talking to pilots on the phone and, and, uh, I'm loving making mistakes. I'm making a ton of mistakes. Um, but I'm loving it because I'm learning. It's, it finally feels like I'm doing something and I'm learning and I'm, and I, I know that the progression from this is going to be now move on to a larger airline. Uh, and, and everything will be fine. And so, yeah, it's, don't be afraid to start from scratch. And one of the things that, that, that motivated me to go ahead and start from scratch is I'm not starting from scratch. I still have a background of management. I still have a background in all sorts of things that I've done in my life. I carry those with me forever. And yeah, I'm starting from scratch at this position, but I always have those on my back. If I need to go into management again with this company, I can, if I need to go back to those things again, I can, you're not starting from scratch. Don't be afraid to do something that you're going to enjoy. Um, so yeah, that's where I am. I'm enjoying it. I'm loving life. Um, not getting enough sleep, but you know, waking there's... up early for podcasts. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for getting up to, to join us today. I mean, that is just such an incredible journey and there's so much to pull out from there. And a few things just to, to pick up on one is that kind of don't hitch your sale to one person within an organization. I think that's such important advice. And There've been so many people who I've spoken to throughout my career who have moved jobs for a boss or stayed with a boss or for your, for yours, it's a CEO. And the thing is, is that eventually something will happen to that person. I mean, they will eventually retire. They will eventually go somewhere else. They will eventually be asked to leave. And then you are left out in the wind. And I think the main thing that you said there is that you burned some bridges because you were quite cocky because you had the CEO's backing. And I think for our listeners out there is even if you do have the CEO's backing, 
there's never a time to burn a bridge because you never know when you're going to need that bridge to be open to you. Absolutely. That, no, that's exactly what happened. And, uh, and, and I'm not sure there were bridges I, I cared for anyway to begin with, but there were still important <laughs> bridges that could have kept me employed for a yeah. while. Um, so like I said, I was fortunate that, uh, you know, like I said, my mentor there that I was working with, I'm sure he could have fought f- more for me. I think he also realized it was time to move. Yeah. It was time to move on. And, yeah. and, and, I'm, and I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful that someone said it's time to move on. So I, uh, in, in retrospect, I needed that. And uh, everything that has happened, I needed. Anytime that I've needed to move from a job, be it voluntarily or not voluntarily, it, it really, it was probably because it was time to go. The, I, I, was, I was losing my enthusiasm for that position in some way. And it was mm-hmm. time to go. So I don't regret it at any point. Yeah. And, and I also love the fact that you, along the way, you kept mentioning, you know, you, your dream. I mean, since we, so, so for full disclosure, Paul and I went to high school together. And since we were in high school, you have been, you've had your eyes in the sky and you've always wanted to be a pilot. And that was always your dream. And what I found really interesting is you have found a way to realize your dream and use the strengths that you have. So we talk about this, this is all about the skills that pay the bills. And you know, you're a phenomenal manager. You're really good with people. You found some roles that actually you enjoyed, but you realized that you enjoyed the people and the management side. And then now you found something that allows you to work with the pilots, allows you to kind of have that experience with the planes, managing people, shouting across the room as you explained it. And it sort of brings all those things together. And, you know, we, we spoke offline before this, that actually becoming a pilot is something you'll probably still do, but as a passion, as opposed to necessarily as a job. And I think that again, is something that's so important for our listeners is it's a, it's a, it's something I had to go through as well as I had to realize I love singing, but I don't want to be a professional singer. And that's not the lifestyle I want. I love acting, but I don't want to be a professional actress because that's not the lifestyle I want. I love writing, but I don't necessarily want to be a writer because that's not the lifestyle I want. And so there are these passions that you can have in your life and even piloting planes, you can do as a hobby. You can do something you love on the side. And as again, factor that into the amount of money you want to make. So let's say that you want to pilot on the side that costs money. You want to ride horses on the side. You want to sing, you want to record, you want to do whatever it is on the side, factor that into your amount of money that you want to get. And I loved that piece of advice is how much money do you realistically need to earn? Forget what everyone around you is earning. Do not worry about your friends. Do not worry about your colleagues. Do not worry about anyone else. How much do you, Paul, need to earn to have the lifestyle that you want to be in. You know, if it's travel, if it's watches, if it's apartments, if it's cars, if it's, you know, food on the table, whatever level that is for yeah. you, what do you need and be happy with that amount? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another point that you touch on, you know, uh, and I did it early in my career, very early in my career, actually, when I was still working at, uh, at Blockbuster Video, uh, you know, when I was still there, and, and, and then moving on to JetBlue a little bit, it was all about competing. It was all about competing with my friends. It was all about competing with, with other people within the company. It was all about, all right, I'm, I'm, I was chasing titles. Mm. I, was chasing, I was chasing being better than others. Don't do that, folks. Don't do that. Make yourself happy. Like I said, have, know how much you need for the hobbies and the passion in your life to make yourself happy. Don't worry what the other person's doing. Don't worry. Yeah. They're yeah. fine. Because they're probably miserable. They're, they're probably miserable too trying to chase that dream. 
it's not about titles. It's not about salaries. It's, it's, it's about what you need to make you happy and keep you going in life. Yeah. And, and I often say that is the <clears throat> comparison game is the game that no one ever wins. There's no way no one ever wins the game. So stop playing it because it is, it's just a losing battle. And I think there's just, there's so much here. I mean, I also, I was, I was smiling when you were talking about being an Airbnb host, because when I first moved to New York, uh, Paul very kindly put me up in his apartment um, and gave me the better, better of the two bedrooms. And uh <laughs> <laughs> allowed me to allowed me to have water next to my bed and breakfast every morning. And I laughed because I still have a note. He left me with my $21,000 bill at the end of it, which I'm never going to pay. Uh, and that's right. That's right. That's why, that's why you can't get an Airbnb now. Really. Exactly. You cannot, exactly. still to this day. Like, she does not pay her bills. <laughs> exactly. I have a zero rating. <laughs> Uh, and like I said, Airbnb is a wonderful thing as well. We do live in a wonderful time, like I mentioned. Airbnb, the ability to have your own uh, side hustle is really great. And uh, the ability to do the self-learning that we talked about nowadays, man, you can you can learn anything nowadays. And that's the wonderful world that we live in now. It's so true. And I would say also for those that are working in big corporates is that if you do have a side hustle, just make sure that you're allowed to have a side hustle and that you've disclosed it as required. Because some large corporates require you to disclose the side hustles and you can get in big trouble if you don't. Oh, and a lot of them allow you to have them. So that's just a little little PS from the, the lawyer and me that will not die. The opinions on this broadcast are not necessarily those of Kimberly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just to be clear, no one is advising you to have a side hustle unless you've looked at the terms and conditions. Okay, so I have to ask you, we are, we are unbelievably coming to the end of our time. So I need to ask you our two final questions, one of which you sort of answered earlier. And if you'd like to refer back to that, I'm happy for you to do that. But what have you kind of discovered about yourself along the way? Yeah, so I, 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 I think, like we said earlier, um, I've, I've discovered what I need to be happy. I've discovered uh, that that. Uh, I'm okay at a certain level of money, that I'm okay at a certain level of education. I'm okay with myself. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very positive about who I am. I'm very positive about, about my career. And, uh, and yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really compare myself to others anymore. I, don't, uh, I just do my own thing, whatever makes me happy. And uh, I'm quite fine with that. Uh, and there's a lot of little lessons along, along the way that I've learned about myself, about others. So, so yeah, I, I will refer to that. And what do you think is the best piece of advice you've ever received? So, so I'm going to tell you this. I'll tell you what the worst piece of advice that I've gotten. And it's, it's the worst piece of advice. And, and all of you get it. And all of you probably give it to your children. And that is the idea that you can be anything you want to be in life. Mm. And that is terrible advice, folks. That's terrible advice. And it's not telling your kids that they can do everything, they, anything they want to do. You can't do anything. Some things are not possible. And, uh, and, and they might be dreams forever. However, you can always find a way to have your passions, as you mentioned. You can always find a way around it, but it's not necessarily your career, but there's always a way to accomplish things, but maybe not the way that you thought that you were gonna do them. Um, so, uh, so think carefully, especially for the young people that you have on, 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 on listening to this, the 20s and something, as they're looking at careers and things to do, you know, maybe there's something that you absolutely can't do, but just do, do something that you like and then figure out on the side what your passions are and work on those. Not everyone can be a doctor. Not everyone can be a lawyer. Not everyone can be a pilot. Not there's, there's things out there that you just can't. And there's wonderful opportunities out there as well that you might not hear about. 
Um, mm. You know, this aircraft dispatch thing that I got into. Boy, I wish I wish in high school somebody told me there's this thing out there as well. Aircraft dispatch you, you might look into and uh, and nobody hears about it. Um, so. So, yeah, look into other things. There's also a statistic that I'm going to try to pull out very quickly, which is something around the lines of 83% of the jobs that our children are going to have don't even exist yet. So sure. because we're in such a fast paced moving world, and I often wonder, is it actually helpful for us to ask our kids to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Maybe it's kind of, you know, what would you like to accomplish? What do you want to do? What are you, you know, what are your dreams around it? But not necessarily, you know, do you want to be a police officer? You know, do you want to be a firefighter? Do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to be a doctor? Like we have, we have set parameters around the types of jobs that exist out there and our knowledge is limited and we end up limiting potentially the next generation by doing that as well and setting expectations on them that that's what we expect of them. When in fact, there's a whole breadth of jobs and of interests and of ideas that we can't even contemplate because they're not even in existence yet and that we haven't had experience with. And so I think absolutely, Paul, is that idea that you can not do everything because if you can't sing, you're not going to be a singer. You know, if you can't act, you're not going to be an actress or actor. You know, if you don't have, if you can't pass a medical, you're not going to be a pilot. You know, if you don't have the right steady hands, you're not going to be a surgeon. And there's lots of things that will limit you in terms of what you can and can't do. But there's also lots of things you might not have even contemplated that you can do. And so it's also getting out there and trying things out. And that's what I love about your story is, you know, the reason that you are where you are and you found this perfect spot for you is because you stepped back and sideways into a small place. You didn't limit yourself to, I want to work at a place that has a title that people will recognize. I want to have a title or a job that people will recognize. I only want to go forward. And, you know, United rejected me because I don't have experience. So I'm not going to do this. You know, actually, you took a step back and said, what if I do a sideways backward step and I build up my experience so that I can go and work in the bigger airlines later. I just absolutely loved that. And I think that's something else I just wanted to make sure we pulled out for our listeners is you can pursue your dreams. Sometimes you have to step back and start again. Sometimes you have to kind of saddle up next to them. It might not be exactly the dream you're imagining, but don't be completely disillusioned and retract within yourself and do something you don't love just because it's not looking exactly the way that you want it to look. So I think that was absolutely beautiful, Paul. And thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your experience and your story and everything that you've learned. And most especially for listening to the podcast, you pulled out some great nuggets from our past guests. So thanks for pulling that out as well. It was great to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thank you, Kimberly. And, and, uh, and thank you. No, it's a great podcast. I, I, I do listen to it. It's, like I said, I have a three-hour drive often and, and you accompany me on those rides. So uh, continued success with the podcast. Oh, thanks a million. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. This is our final week in the season of the skills that pay the bills. Please join us next season when we talk about playing the hand you were dealt. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment below. And I hope that you're one step closer to discovering the undiscovered you.